Thank you, Pastor. It's so good to be here. You folks have really made my wife and me feel like you were glad we were here. And uh, somebody asked me, now does the pastor make sure you're eating well? I said, listen, he is, uh, after traveling several years, he learned how to treat evangelists and visiting speakers. And he does a great job with it. So we've counted a real privilege to be here at Canaan Baptist Church. Hope you'll pray for us. I didn't mention this, but uh, this last year has been a little difficult physically on me. Uh, I had kidney stones. I had a mini stroke while I was preaching and uh, then with the shingles. And so about out of the last 12 months, uh, there have been about six months when I have not been in meetings. But I feel like I'm on the upswing now. And I hope you folks will pray that the Lord will keep us on the road. When I started in evangelism, my goal was to be in it for 50 years. I've been in it 62. Uh, we had a preacher preaching chapel last week. Six, uh, he's been in it. Uh, he's 89 years old. I said, you've been a challenge to me. I'm 85 and I'm hoping that I'll be in it as long as you have, 89. So pray for us if you would. And then let me mention quickly the items on the table. Now remember, here's my uh, life story on Unshackle. The only way you can get this is to get all three of the books and uh, you can get them singly if you wish. Somebody asked me, uh, tonight as I was coming in, what I thought about what's going on in Israel. Well, right here is the answer to that. 11 messages on prophecy. And uh, then my autobiography, 85 years on planet Earth and uh, 62 years in evangelism. And then here's the four crises of youth, every young person Third grade on up ought to read that. Let me encourage you, if you'd like anything at the table, if you would get that before you do your fellowshipping, it'd be helpful to us. All those things have to be taken down and put in boxes. All right, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 18. It's interesting, the introduction that uh, your pastor gave me, talking about the importance of the cause of Christ. And that's exactly, Pastor, what I'm preaching tonight, protecting the cause of Christ. Let's stand, please. Now, here's a simple principle that if the average church member in our fundamental Baptist churches will get a hold of this simple principle, it'll save this man about 85 to 90% of the counseling he has to do. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. I'd like for us to read this all together. All right, you got Matthew 18 and verse 15 together. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. 
Thank you very much. You may be seated. Matthew 18 deals with several spiritual principles. First of all, in verses 3 through 5, it talks about coming to Christ with simple childlike faith. Now, we've got it wrong. We think a child has to become adult-like in order to be saved. No, an adult has to become childlike in order to be saved. So you come to Christ with simple childlike faith, and he saves you. And then in verse 6, he talks about uh, the world offending one of these little ones. Better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and he were cast into the depths of the sea. I wonder if that could not apply to the abortion crowd. Better for that crowd that a millstone were hanged around their neck and they were cast into the depths of the sea. Then you come to verse 7, and he talks about offenses from the world, and we can expect that. Paul says, and all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I tell our preacher boys through the years this, if there's something offensive about my mannerisms or, or something offensive about me personally, I ought to do something about that. But if there's something offensive about the message that I preach, I can't do one thing about that. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul said, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks' foolishness, but unto us which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we cannot do anything about the message of the Bible. And the world is not waiting with outstretched arms for the message of the substitutionary death of Christ. But that's the message of the Bible. Then you go down to verses 21 and 22. And he talks about forgiveness. Notice, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, Jesus saith unto I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, you know what Peter is doing in that passage? He's strutting his spirituality. In other words, he came to Christ and he said, now, the Jewish rabbis say they'll forgive my brother five, uh, three times. But I'm a good Christian. I'm not going to forgive him three times. I'm going to forgive him seven times. Aren't I a good Christian? And Jesus said, no, Peter, you're not a good Christian if you can forgive him seven times, but rather 70 times seven or an innumerable amount of times. Now, that brings us to our text. I tell our students this, I'm not important. You're not important, but the cause of Christ is all important. And if you and I will live to protect the cause of Christ, when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I wanna break this down into three parts. 
Notice, please, protecting the cause of Christ. First of all, there's a problem, a damaged relationship. Notice the first part of the verse. Moreover, if thy brother shall sin against thee. Now, obviously, this is talking about a brother to a brother. But the bottom line of the Bible is Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So we are to live peaceably with our unsaved neighbor so we will not be a stumbling block to lead him to Christ. Now, my wife and I had a wonderful experience a couple months ago. Uh, our neighbor, we live in the country, so it's a long way between horses, houses but and horses. But uh, across the street, uh, Don Blanton and his wife has, have lived and uh, as long as we've been there, every Christmas, my wife bakes some bread and we take it over. I never got into their house. I knock on the door, nobody came to the door. So I would leave that and a track and uh, so forth. And so I prayed, Lord, I pray that one day Don will be out in the yard where I can approach him about being saved. And uh, so I was doing some errands, and when I came back, my wife said, Honey, Don Blanton came over the house, and he is scared. He's told that he has cancer in his eye. And uh, he, she said, I think now is the time to try to win him to Christ. So I went over, Don was mowing his lawn, and I said, Don, I understand that you're concerned about your soul. I said, now I'd like to talk to you and tell you how you can know you can go in heaven. I said, would you like for me to wait until you get through mowing your lawn or would you like me to talk to you right now? He said, right now. So I led him to Christ in my automobile and then my wife went over and led Mrs. Blanton to Christ. But if we had been a poor testimony we could have never won uh, the Blantons to Christ. And we have found this in our meetings in the last two or three years. People that come in and get saved are people that you have befriended and you have laid the foundation, bring them in, they hear the gospel and they're saved. So the bottom line of the Bible is we're live peaceably with all men. But this is talking about a brother to a brother has two aspects to it. I want you to see if you can tell the difference in these two passages I'm going to give you. First of all, take your Bible and turn to Mark 11, 25 and 26. Mark 11, 25 and 26. Protecting the cause of Christ. A problem, a damaged relationship. All right, notice please, Mark 11, 25 and 26. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. All right, look this way. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have a friend or a loved one for whom you're praying to be saved, would you raise your hand, please? It's almost everybody. Here's my next question. Is there anybody on the face of God's earth 
with whom you're bitter. If there is, don't pray, save your time. God's not going to hear your prayers. Somebody has said this, adultery has slain its thousands, but bitterness its tens of thousands. I believe that with all my heart. Several years ago, I was going to be in a meeting in Lima, Ohio. A pastor picked me up at the airport at Dayton. On the way to Lima, he said, Brother Comfort, I had a man on my staff 12 years ago that was an Absalom. He kept sowing discord among my people and it split my church right down the middle. Before we got to Lima, he said, Brother Comfort, I had another man on my staff who was involved in child molestation. He said he's in prison tonight for being involved in child molestation. I said, Preacher, for the sake of illustration, which one of these men did more harm to your church? He said, no comparison. Everybody knew that child molestation was wrong. But he said, that didn't hurt my church one bit. But the man who sowed discord 12 years later were still paying for that. I said, preacher, that's Bible. Hebrews 12, 15, bitterness defiles many. I preached for Bobby Robertson uh, many years on a Sunday every year. And the last time I had preached there, Bobby was in the hospital getting ready to go to heaven. And so that night after I got through preaching, Frank Shoemate, the assistant pastor, came over to me and he said, look at the uh, board over there. He said, today we had 1,215. He said, when you started preaching here 12 years ago, he said it was 2,800. He said, you know what the difference is? He said, we had one man in our church who sowed discord and it was responsible for our losing two to 300 people. Bitterness defiles many. You show me young people that are critical and bitter. I'll tell you where they got it from. They got it from mom and dad. See, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare unto thy soul. So God says, if you know somebody that's bitter, don't get around them. Bitterness is a cancer that infects and affects everybody you get around. Now let me ask you a question. Is there anybody you can think of if they came in that door tonight and they made a seat beside of you, you'd like to change seats? Is there anybody you can think of if you were going down the street and you saw them coming toward you, you'd want to go over on the other side and pass them on the other side? Now, folks, bitterness is such a waste of life. And I know some people that get up in the morning, they're bitter, they're bitter all day long. They go to bed the same way. Here's a verse I would to God that every fundamental Baptist would memorize. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they that love thy law and what? Nothing shall offend them. Did you get that? If I get offended at you, 
My problem is not you. My problem is I have an improper attitude toward this book and toward the cause of Christ. Now, there are two places in that verse. Here's a place of living with great peace. Here's a place of living easily offended. Which place are you living in? If you're easily offended, you've forfeited the place of great peace. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, here it is, and be a kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Colossians 3 and verse 13, if Christ forgave me, so also am I to forgive you. Now, what you have in Mark 11 is you have the guilty going to the innocent. If I had been bitter toward you, I ought to go to you and I ought to say, listen, I've been bitter toward you and God's dealt with my heart. I need to get right with you because if I'm not right with you, I'm not right with God. I always, when... Uh, except the last two years, I'm not preaching extended meetings now. I'm only preaching on Sundays. But for years, I would preach, and I'd ask the pastor, can I preach the opening message in Sunday school, combined classes on Sunday morning? And no matter what I preach, I always hit bitterness. You know why? It's universal. I tell my preacher boys, it doesn't matter what country you preach in. It doesn't matter what their language is or what the color of their skin is. Bitterness is universal. And I ask pastors uh, many times, what message do you preach that gets the most results? And most of the time they'll say the problem of bitterness. So here the guilty needs to go to the innocent. Now take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now see if you can tell the difference. In, uh, Luke, in Mark chapter 11, it's the guilty going to the innocent. But here, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. All right, you see the difference in those two passages? Mark 11, the guilty ought to go the innocent. Matthew 5, innocent ought to go the guilty. Here's a principle I've tried to follow, Brother Billy, in my 62 years in evangelism. I will not get up and preach knowing I'm bitter towards somebody, but what I will go to them and try to get right with them. On the other hand, I will not get up and preach knowing somebody is bitter toward me and I don't feel that way about them, but what I will take the first step and try to reconcile the situation. Ladies and gentlemen, is there anybody you need to get on the phone and call? I was preaching for Ed Nelson, his last pastorate. He said, Brother Comfort, I want you to uh, preach uh, the last revival meeting that I'm going to have before I turn the church over to a younger man. And so I was preaching in Denver, 
And uh, after Sunday school, a lady left the church. I preach this in Sunday school. If you are bitter towards somebody, you're not a candidate for revival. And so this lady left the building and halfway through the morning service, she came back. And after the service, she said, Brother Comfort, did you notice that I left Sunday school and I was gone for about 45 minutes, came back halfway in the morning service. I said, yes, I noticed that. I thought maybe you were sick. She said, no, you said I was not a candidate for revival if I was not right with somebody else. She said, I left here, went to the home of that person that I was bitter toward and I got right with them. She said, now I'm a candidate for revival. All right, the guilty going to the innocent, but also the innocent going to the guilty. So number one, you have a problem, a damaged relationship. Number two, you have a procedure, a direct reminder. All right, notice please again verse 15, Matthew 18. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, get it, go and tell him his fault, between thee and him alone. All right, look this way. Do we do that? No. If I have a problem with Brother B, I'll go to Brother Yusuf and I'll say, you know what he did to me? Now that's wrong. That's wrong. Brother Labee's not a part of the problem, nor is he part of the solution. And when I go to somebody else other than that's involved, it makes the chasm greater. It makes a situation almost irreconcilable. And everything he does, it makes it harder to get resolved. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're to go to him, we're to go to him alone, and when are we to go to him? Immediately, immediately. You see, if I wait, I make all these reasons why I should not get right with him. But if I go to him immediately, many times I, you're going to find this, that most of our chasms are caused by basic misunderstandings. Did you know that? You see, you see things from this perspective. The other person sees it from this perspective. And if we can just get together and do what Matthew 18, 15 says, we can get to the root of the problem. Now, I will tell you that this is a difficult principle to follow. And there have been times in my life, Brother Charles, when I have violated this principle. Uh, I was getting raised to start Ambassador Baptist College, and I was down in the West Indies in a missionary's home. And during the week, I saw some things that were going to hurt his testimony and hurt his ministry. And I thought, now, Don Sisk is coming to preach at Ambassador, and he's ahead of BIMI. This missionary is under BIMI. So I'll just share with him my apprehension when he comes. And I did. And Don said, you know, Brother Comfort, I'm going to be down there in the West Indies in a couple of weeks. And he says, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be on that island. And as I get on that island, I'll confront this missionary about your apprehension concerning their testimony and ministry. So he did. When he got back to America, he called me up 
And he said, Brother Comfort, I just came back from the West Indies and I confronted the couple that you were apprehensive about their testimony. He said, you know what the missionary said to me? He said, why didn't Brother Comfort come to me rather than go to you? I said, Don, he was right. I was wrong. I said, I violated a principle that I preach in my own ministry. I said, I've got to apologize to you. And I said, when I hang up, I'm calling down in the West Indies and I'm going to get right with the missionary and his wife. So I did. I called down the West Indies. The wife answered the phone. I said, ma'am, is your husband available? She said, no, he's busy working on the church building. We had a hurricane come through the island and damaged the church building. And he, she said, I'm afraid he's not able to come to the phone. I said, well, I'll relay to you what I wanted to tell him. I said, I just got off the phone with Don Sisk. And he told me that he had approached your husband about something that Brother Comfort had, an apprehension that may hurt your ministry. And your husband replied, why didn't Brother Comfort come to me? I said, ma'am, I want you to know your husband was right. I was wrong. I violated a principle I preach in my own ministry. I apologize to Don Sisk and I called down to the West Indies to apologize to you and your husband. She said, I assure you, we will forgive you. I said, ma'am, thank you so much for your understanding. I said, I'm sending a personal check for $500 to help your husband work on the building. Ladies and gentlemen, many times basic misunderstanding is involved. I was preaching in Maslin, Ohio several years ago, and Brother Cummins, who is now in heaven, pastored for many years. I was preaching along this line, and in the meeting, Brother Cummins came to me and he said, Brother Comfort, God's been dealing with my heart. He said, I have had a deacon that he and I were as close as brothers. I would share things with him that I would not share with anybody else except my wife. He said something happened 12 years ago to break that relationship. He said, God's been dealing with me about trying to get to the root of the problem. Would you go with me? I said, Pastor, I'd be glad to. And this is classic, folks. So we went to the former deacon. He was working on his car in his garage. He was a retired gentleman. And so the pastor struck up a friendly conversation. And after a while, he turned the conversation. He said, brother, something's bothered me for a long time. And I wonder if we can't get to the root of this thing. He said, you know, you and I used to be as close as brothers. But something happened. You and your wife left the church. And I, I have no idea why you left the church. Can you share with me why you did? He said, all right, preacher, you asked for it. He said, do you remember on Saturday you officiated at the wedding of my daughter and her fiance? He said, preacher, you did something in that wedding that offended me, it offended my wife, it offended everybody in that wedding party. And he said, I made up my mind if you would do that, I could never hear you preach again. He said, brother, 
would you like to know why I did what I did? He said, if you'll tell me. The preacher went on to explain it so logically, anybody could have understood it. When he got through, the former deacon stood there with his mouth open and he said, preacher, for 12 years, I've been backslidden because of a basic misunderstanding. The average person that will leave a fundamental Baptist church will never go to the pastor and say, Pastor, this is why we are leaving. And many times it's a basic misunderstanding. So first of all, you have a problem, a damaged relationship. Secondly, you have a procedure, a direct reminder. Finally, number three, you have a product, a desired response. Notice, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Here it is. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And I think you could add the addendum and protected the cause of Christ. Now, I'm going to give you a passage that sums up everything we've been saying in this evening message. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. A product, a desired response. Now, some of you young people have been saved a short time. And you don't know why a church will practice church discipline. Are you listening? To practice church discipline is Bible. Folks, I had a preacher tell me last week on the phone, our church has never in 50 some years ever had a church discipline problem. He said, I had one Sunday night. And he said, my folks responded in unanimity. Everybody understood why. Now, you know why we have church discipline. It is not to kick a person while he's down. It is not to exert our authority, but it's to restore the fallen brother. Galatians 6 and verse 1. All right, notice please Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather your place and wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, look this way. You know what we do in the Christian life? We play hit last. Have you ever played hit last with your brother or sister? You hit him, he hits you. You hit him, he hits you. What happens if in the middle of that game, you say, brother, I'm tired of this game. I'm black and blue. Let's go to McDonald's and I'll buy a milkshake. That ends the game. All right, here's what happens. Brother Ingram does something to me. You know what my flesh says? 
Billy Ingram's not going to get the last say. Ron Comfort's going to get the last say. But you know what his flesh says? Uh-uh. Ron Comfort's not going to get the last say. I'm going to get the last say. What happens if in the middle of that game, I say, brother, I want to buy you a Bible. That ends a game. You see, you do not return evil for evil. You return good for evil. Uh, when I started Ambassador Baptist College, we rented a facility for $5,500 a month. Dr. Childs was uh, on our founding staff. And uh, we rented it for seven and a half years. And all during that time, we knew that that wasn't our permanent location. So we were looking for property or maybe a campus that we would renovate. And finally, in in uh, seven and a half years, we moved into Lattimore. But by the way, Lattimore's a poke and plum town. You poke your head around the corner, you're plum out of town. See, we don't even have a stoplight in Lattimore. But anyway, the people of Lattimore wanted to meet with me and ask me questions. And uh, when we moved into Cleveland County, there were 112 churches, 87 of them were Baptist churches. And we were one of the few independent Baptist churches, so they wanted to find out if we were a cult or if we were a legitimate Baptist church. So they asked me questions. Somebody said this, now Brother Comfort, uh, you have some modular buildings in the other location. Are you gonna move them into this area? I said, listen, we don't have any choice in the matter. We've got to have a place for our students to live. Now, I assure you that when God supplies the money for us to build dormitories, we will remove these modular buildings. Well, there's a man in the community, and I think Brother Childs and Brother Ingram know he was a town drunk, and he's been an adversarial ever since day one. I never will forget the first time I met him. I met him in a convenience store. I did not recognize him, but man, did he recognize me. He came over to me and started cussing me out. He told me things that I never knew about myself. And he said, Mr. Comfort, when are you going to get rid of those trailers, quote unquote? Now, I'll tell you why he didn't like them. Because one of those modular buildings was facing his backyard and girls lived in that modular buildings. He had a bathtub in his backyard and he would take a bath in his backyard. But with these girls living in this dormitory, he couldn't do it. So he's been adversarial ever since day one. I said, listen, sir. I said, we don't want those buildings there any more than you do. But when God supplies the money, I assure you, we will remove the buildings and build our dormitories. And so God supplied for us to build five dormitories. We presently have, uh, we had four at that time. We have five now. And I told Alton Beale, who is the first good president that ambassadors had, I told him, now what we're going to do when we remove the modular buildings, I'm going to send this man a letter. And in the letter, I'm sending a gift card to Lowe's. 
And so he took the letter to this man and it read this, dear Mr. So-and-so, thank you for your kindness in allowing us to have these modular buildings in the community. We didn't want them there any more than you did, but God has supplied enough money for us to build four dormitories. And because of your patience, I'm sending you a gift card to Lowe's. You know what he did? He took that gift card and that letter and he hung his head. And he said, Mr. Beal, I don't deserve this gift card. He said, I haven't been a good neighbor to you folks. All we were doing was Romans 12, 17 through 21. Ed Nelson was preaching in his church, South Sheridan Baptist Church in Denver for years. And one Sunday morning in the early 70s, he preached on 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where it is wrong for a Christian to take another Christian to a court of law before an unsaved world and hurt the cause of Christ. When he got through preaching, one of his men came to him and he said, Pastor, he said, so-and-so in our church has defrauded me of $10,000, early 70s, probably, uh, probably about like 50000 now. He said, listen, I have already started uh, court proceedings to get my $20,000 back. He said, you know what? If I never get a penny of that money back, according to your message, it's wrong for me to go to a court of law. And he said, I will not go and hurt the cause of Christ with my saved brother. Ladies and gentlemen, let's live to protect the cause of Christ. Bow your head, please, with me.